You guys, welcome to Salt Company. Hey, if you're a freshman, go ahead and raise your hand. Get those up there. Let's go. We love freshmen here. You guys, I want to I wanna apologize to all the freshmen in the room. I'm sorry that it's been such a hard week. First week of college, it's tough, isn't it? There's so many questions. Literally from the moment that you leave your house, honey, where's your dorm? Did you bring your fan? Where do we park? Do you need a parking pass? Hey man, do you get the syllabus? You need the syllabus. You need to sign the syllabus. Did your parents sign it for you? Oh, you need that. Did you get your books? Did you get your supplies? Did you get this? Did you get that? College is full of questions. And of course there's the big three that every new person has been trained like a robot to ask every other single new person. What is your name, major, where are you from? That's like the only three questions that we have. And following that, you have that horribly terrifying blank space that your head goes into where you literally forget who you are. And you're just standing there like, I have nothing to ask you. I know nothing. And so you panic and you ask people way too meaningful of a question. Like, have you hurt someone before? And they're like, what? <laughs> or you ask something way too shallow. Like, do you like ice cream? And they're like, what? And you're like, what? <laughs> and then it's just this awkward moment. College is full of questions, especially the first week. Well, I wanna add one more to your list. And here's the thing about this question. I think it's the most important question you will be asked this week. And I even take it a step further. I think it's the most important question you'll be asked in your whole four years of college. And I'm actually gonna take it even a step further. I think this question is the most important question you will ever be asked. Here it is. Why do you believe that God would let you into heaven someday? Why do you believe that God would let you into heaven someday? You see, all of us, have a guaranteed appointment with death. Hate to get morbid on us right away. We all have a guaranteed appointment with death. It's scheduled. We don't know when, we don't know how, we don't know where, but you can't escape it. I only know of one person that's done that. What the Bible teaches is that following our appointment with death, you will have an appointment with God. And when you stand before God, how you answer that question will determine your eternal fate. Either you will be welcomed into his presence, into his glory, into his kindness, and live under his faithful love, his joy, his presence all of your days, or you will spend forever apart from him under his punishment, under his judgment, under his wrath. And it all comes down to how do you answer that question? Why would God let you into heaven? I asked a couple people this week, here's what they said. One person said, because of my selfless acts for my community and my mindset to help people of the world. Another person said, I think that if I'm a good person and try to be genuine with others, I might be allowed in. 
we all have a different answer to that question. Tonight, God has only one answer that will please him. And so if you want to know that answer with your eternal destination on the line, turn to Philippians 3, 1 through 11. If you guys don't have a Bible, you can use that mobile Bible of yours, your telephone. Um, but open up to Philippians 3, we're in verses 1 through 11. And as you do that, if this is your first time joining us at Somersault, we've been going through the book of Philippians all summer. This was a letter written by the Apostle Paul, who was one of the most famously used Christians by God, to a church that he started, the Philippians. And our letter tonight, our chapter, starts with a warning. Read with me the first two verses. Paul says this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a protection for you. Here's what he says. Watch out for dogs. Watch out for evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Have you ever been attacked by a dog before? It's a horrible experience, okay? The other day I was on a run and I was jogging, it was a beautiful morning. The birds were singing, the sun had come through the sky, the fog was rolling over, it had been a long week and I'm out there jogging, I'm like, oh, this is good. And I'll never forget the sound I heard coming out of one of the bushes next to me. And I am running and this brown lab with this wild look in its eye is running after me. Just, and I see this thing and it is right behind me and it goes to bite the back of my leg. And at the last second I go and move my leg out of the way and I outrun the thing. Luckily it was super overweight, it didn't have a chance. Um, but I outrun the thing and I get to the corner and I'm like, oh my gosh, like I was just attacked by a dog, like that happens. Dogs can be evil too. I never knew they had that in them. Well, you can't make this up. As I am coming back to the house, this is just a one mile run, I'm almost back. I look out and this second dog comes out of the forest. And this dog looked more wild than any dog. It looked meaner than any dog I'd ever seen in my life. I mean, it looked like it had just shredded a pack of deer in half. It was just, it just came lumbering out. This strong, it had muscles where you shouldn't have muscles if you're a dog. And it looks at me and its jaw is like to the side like this. And its eyes are at like, I don't know how to say it, but its eyes were at like differing le levels. And it just like looked at me and I'm like, oh my gosh. And it comes running straight at me. I, I have paused in the road and it is running straight at me. And I'm standing there like, oh my gosh. This is how I go. Like th this is my appointment with death. This, I didn't know it was gonna be like this. It was me, the hands of a dog. And it runs at me and they say, your, your senses get sharper right before you're about to die. Well, it comes running and it leaps at me. And in this slow motion, it's the coolest thing I've ever done. I do this matrix dodge. It, it, I'm like, 
and everything's in slow motion at this point. And you, it's like you can see the dog looking at you. It's like, Nyah! and I dodge this thing. And then I am in this war with this dog. It is barking at me. I'm screaming at this thing. And I'm like, here's the only way I survive this. I have to kill this thing. So in one moment, I jump on top of it. I grab its collar, its neck, and <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I did not do that. It actually had an owner who came out and was like, butcher, get in here. And it came running over. I'm like, ma'am, there's so many things, right? You shouldn't own a dog like that. That thing's a weapon. You don't buy animals like that. Paul says, there's a group of people that are surrounding your church who are like wild, vicious dogs. Who were they? They were the Judaizers. This was a group of Jews who were more religious than the religious could be. This was a group of Jews who had worked their way into the Philippian church and what they were doing that was so dangerous was they were preaching a message about salvation that was not true. What they were telling the Philippians, hey, you know what you need to do to be saved? You know what you need to do for God to let you into heaven? You've got to be circumcised. This covenant that God had with his people, they had blown it out of proportion. They said, you have to do that. And not only that, they were saying, in order to be saved, you have to carefully and rigidly obey every single one of the laws. Every single one of those Mosaic laws that were given for Moses to govern his people that weren't meant to save you, they were just meant to govern the way that you live. They said, you have to follow those in order to be saved. They would have answered the question, why would God let you into heaven? What they would have done in that moment, standing before God, is they would have pulled out a laminated resume and said, check it out, God. See that at the top? Circumcised. <laughs> Below that, oh yeah, all the rules. Followed it, checked it. I'm good, 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 good. And Paul says, don't listen to that message. It's evil. Their message, they may look clean underneath their religious cloak, but underneath they're dangerous. That message is dangerous, like wild dogs. Well, there was a reason that the apostle Paul knew all too well how dangerous these dogs were, and he knew how to spot their tactics from a mile away. And it's because he himself used to be one of these religious dogs. Look at what he says in verses four through six. Paul says, although I once also had confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, I persecuted the church. Regarding the righteousness that is in the law, I was blameless. Paul says that message they're preaching, I used to believe that's how it worked. I used to think that I, when I was asked that question, why should I let you in? I'd show him my resume and here's the thing about Paul is he had a far more impressive resume than any of these people. 
Oh, you got your degree in religion? I've got my MDiv. You've got, you think you know the law? I know the law better than you. And I wanna zoom in on, on all the things that he just listed because I think there's three things in particular that Paul was so confident in that would make him right before God. And I think many of us in this room would answer that question, why should God let you in, in one of these three places? So here was the first place that Paul put his confidence in. Number one, his parents' religious background. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day. I was of the nation of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born to Hebrews. Paul says, the first thing on my list, I got circumcised, my parents did that for me. And not only did we do it, we did it on the eighth day. This was a Jewish rite of passage to be circumcised on the eighth day when God had asked you to be circumcised. And not only that, he says, I was a Hebrew born of Hebrew parents. I am a Jewish son of not one, but two Hebrew parents. Here's the thing, not every Jew could boast in that. The Jews had come under the influence of the Greeks. Paul was born in Tarsus under Greek rule. And as the Jews were under Greek influence, many of them had split off and married different people. And as they began to lose their customs and practices, their language went with it. And many people couldn't say, I come from both Jewish parents. Paul could, both my parents are Jews. I'll put this in really simple terms to the Harry Potter fans. Paul's saying, I'm the Draco Malfoy of the Jewish world. Both my parents are, are Jews. I was raised by them, I was circumcised. Guess what? I can still speak my Hebrew. I got that going from me. I come from religious royalty. That's what he's saying here. How many people here, when they stand before God, will say, here's why you should let me in, because my family is religious. That's what I thought the answer was. I thought that when I stood before God, I'd go, guess what? My dad's a pastor. <laughs> That's gotta count for something. My mom's in ministry, she directs the arts. They both work for the church. That's where I come from. My dad leads devos every Sunday. He takes me to the church. My attendance is good. That's what I come from. Salt Company, listen to me and listen to what Paul's saying. You can have the most spiritual of parents. You can have the most spiritual of siblings. You can have the most spiritual aunt or uncle or grandparent. You can be born as a PK or an MK, missionary's kid. You can have parents who are used in the church. You could have been baptized. They could have had you baptized. You could have been confirmed. You could have gone through classes. And yet here's the thing, none of your family's religious accomplishments, even with the best intentions, can make you right before God. That was the first place Paul boasted in. Here was the second place. It was in his own religious accomplishments. If not my family, well, let me show you what I've done. He said in verse Five, he says, regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, I persecuted the church. 
When we hear Pharisee in scripture, we often think of all the negative things that Jesus called them. Brood of vipers, snakes, hypocrites, and many of them were that. But to be a Pharisee was an unbelievable religious accomplishment. You see, to be a Pharisee, you had to have all 613 laws of the Torah Torah memorized front to back and back to front. And not only did you have to memorize them, you had to live by them. I have a hard time obeying the speed limit. Imagine trying to obey all of those laws. There was only 6,000 Pharisees because the, the lifestyle was so rigid. Paul goes, I was as elite as the Pharisees. I was one. I followed all those laws. And not only that, I was even better than the Pharisees. What's he say? He says, regarding zeal, I persecuted the church. Here's how committed I was. I killed Christians. We think, Paul, man, what an evil guy for killing Christians. He must have had so much anger towards them. No, he was so committed. He was so committed to Judaism that he would kill anybody that threatened him. He thought that Christians stood in the way of God. He was trying to please God. There was nobody more devoted to religion than Paul. How many people will stand before God and when asked that question, why should I let you in? Will say, well, here's the thing. I'm a religious person. I go to church twice a week, not once, twice. I pray. Not once a day, all three meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, even sometimes in between the meals. I don't eat this food, I don't drink this drink, I raise my hands in worship, I took this class, I know these verses, I could drive to the nearest church with a blindfold on, I am religious. Paul says this, it does not matter. It does not matter how religiously devoted you are, it will not earn you salvation. Well, there was one more place that Paul had put all his confidence. And it was in, lastly, his goodness. He says in verse six, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, I was blameless. What he's not saying here is I was sinless. What he's saying here is that when it came to being a good person, nobody could find any dirt on me. When it came to being good, I did everything that was good. I was a good person. Nobody could even see the bad that I did because I was so good. How many people will stand before God and will say, here's the thing, I am a good person. My good, if you put it on a scale, at the very end, it would outweigh the bad. I don't cuss, I go to class, I never cheat. That religion stuff is just rules anyways. I'm good. Salt Company, listen to me. You can be the best person. You can give to a hundred charities. You can help old Nana across the street every single day of your life and it will never earn you salvation. What an impressive resume Paul had. Religious pedigree, came from religion, good person, checks all the boxes, right? Look at what he says about all of it. 
Look at the language he uses to describe it in verse seven and eight. Listen to these words. But everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God based on faith. Paul says, all my achievements, all my religious upbringing, all my religious works, all my goodness, guess what? It's crap. It's dung. It's waste. It's garbage. It doesn't matter. And why did he say it? Why would he say that? With a resume as impressive as his, why was it all considered filth to him? Here's the answer to our big question. How can you be saved? How can you escape judgment? How can you stand before a holy and righteous God and escape all the punishment that you deserve? Here's the answer. He said it in verse nine. Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only answer that will satisfy God. It is by faith in Jesus Christ. Only by him can you be saved. Because here's the thing. God has an incredibly high admittance requirement to get into heaven. It's perfect righteousness. And sadly, none of us, no matter how religious our family was, no matter how religious we are, and no matter how even good we were, can impress that because we all have a thing called sin that runs through us, it exists in us, and nobody passes the test. Let's see if you pass the test, just for kicks and gigs. Raise your hand. Have you ever lied before? If you're not raising your hand, you've lied. You're a liar. So what do we call people who lie? Liars. Have you ever stolen anything? Raise your hand. Okay, you might be going, well, I have never stolen anything which some people haven't. Have you ever borrowed time from your job? Have you ever clocked out early? Okay, we've all done that. So, so far, it's not good for you. You're, you're a lying, thieving. Okay, how about this one? Have you ever murdered anyone? I hope no hands go up for that. I'd be like, oh my gosh, please get, get him. Um, God says, if you've ever been angry towards someone in your heart, then you've murdered them in your heart. Have you ever had a lustful thought towards someone else? Ooh, that one gets personal. 
So far, here's what you are. If you answer yes to any of those questions, you are a lying, thieving, murderous adulterer. And here's the thing, just answering yes to one of those questions, just having sinned one time makes you separated forever. It puts separation between you and God forever. But here's the thing, there was one named Jesus who came from heaven to earth. And here's the thing that he did that none of us did. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned once. And yet he was murdered on a criminal's cross. And on that cross, God poured out all the wrath, all the judgment that he had stored up for the sin of you and me. And he poured it all out on Jesus Christ who had no sin. And in that moment, all of the sin that kept us from being allowed into the kingdom of God, from experiencing relationship with God was satisfied. And so in order to be saved from your sin, in order to be allowed into the presence of God, when God looks at you, he must see someone else. He must see someone standing in front of you. God must see the perfect, spotless righteousness of his son. That's why Paul says, everything that was a gain to me, I consider to be rubbish, garbage. It means nothing. I put my faith in Christ. I put all my confidence, my trust, my hope in Jesus Christ. There will be nobody in heaven holding on to a resume. There will be people, however, bowing before God, pointing when asked the question, why should I let you in at Jesus Christ? He's why, he is why I'm here. He is where all my hope, all of my trust, it's all in him because I can't do it on my own. I can't get there on my own. It's all because of Jesus Christ. Here's the last two things I wanna leave you with. You could be sitting here tonight and have done not a religious deed in your whole life. You could have not grown up in religion. You could think religion is garbage and you even know there's not much goodness that exists in you. You've come to college looking for joy and meaning in all the wrong places. That could be you. And you know what? Christ says, if religious accomplishments mean nothing, then you too can be saved. You too can immediately have all of your sins forgiven. The things that kept you so far from God can be instantly forgiven because religious accolades are garbage next to the cross. Consider the thief on the cross who didn't do a religious thing over his entire life. He did nothing impressive. And yet he hung there on the cross. And it was through faith in Jesus Christ that that day he stepped into eternity.
And when people asked him in heaven, where are your religious credentials? What do you got? He said, in the words of Alistair Begg, the man on the middle cross said I could come. Jesus Christ is our hope. He is the only way and he is not just your fire insurance to escape the judgment that all of us deserve. Knowing Christ is the greatest thing that you could ever experience. It is far better than anything you came for college to. It is far better than a career or money or a wife, all the things you've come here to find. Oh, to know Christ. It is the only thing that will satisfy our souls. Let me pray for us.